A little over 2,000 years ago, the prophecy of Joel chapter 2 was fulfilled in the presence of at least 120 people who were converted to Christianity by following Jesus Christ. But as the Holy Spirit came upon them, God gave birth to the church. And some 2,000 plus years later, here we are, as the Holy Spirit has done what only He can do, beginning a movement, the most powerful movement in the history of the world, which we are a part of. Now, it's not about being powerful or taking over. It's about being in Christ, finding our identity in Him, and then living that out in the midst of a world looking for answers. And as we talk about that this morning, we're going to see how the early church did that, how they lived out their faith, and how God blessed that and used that to continue to grow His church, His people. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 47 is where we're going to be. A lot of verses, so we can't get, uh, you know, uh, high-centered in any one particular issue, but I'll do my best to give you an understanding of what this says, and I want to encourage you to continue to read through the book of Acts on your own to let it just sink in a little deeper and a little more of what did the early church do? What can we learn from them as the church of today? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the time you've given us this morning, the opportunity to come and to gather and to worship you, to, to be with one another. Lord, those are privileges that we admittedly take for granted. And as the choir just sang, we admittedly at times even take for granted that the cross is true. May we never lose the wonder of the cross, all that you did for us so that we might be your people. And we know, Lord Jesus, that part of what you did was ascend back to heaven. Had we been with that early group, we may have reacted like them. What is happening? Where are you going? What's going to happen? Are you leaving us alone? But all of the promises of the Holy Spirit to come, we see being fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. The advocate, the comforter, the one who would fill and empower and baptize and manifest God himself through his people has come. That is the same Holy Spirit that is present in each and every believer in Jesus Christ. And so we thank you for that. Help us to better understand, Holy Spirit, who you are and all that you do in and through our lives, your people, the church. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit involves a number of things, but the first thing we see right from the beginning in verses 1 through 13 is the birth of the church. The birth of the church. When the day of Pentecost came, Pentecost was that celebration that started with Passover, and in the spring of the year, uh, they had their own calendar, but for us it would be around the springtime of the year. And over a 50-day period of time, there was continual celebration. And then the day of Pentecost, Penta, like Pentagon, five-sided. So the 50 days later, they celebrated this time of, of, of uh, God's provision and all that they celebrated from the Old Testament. And God chose that time to send the Holy Spirit. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. We're not sure where that was, some kind of a building. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. What's interesting is the same Greek word for spirit is the same word for wind. So as the spirit came, there was a violent wind sound. Came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated. So each person was anointed. In the Old Testament, it typically were leaders, kings and prophets and, and priests had the Holy Spirit temporarily to be used by God. But for every believer in Christ, we are what? We are priests of God. We are servants of God. We are all given the Holy Spirit. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when we think of filling, we think of empty and full. But the word fill there means more controlled by, indwelt by, empowered by. So keep that in mind because you're going to see that a lot. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now we're going to see those tongues were languages of the day that were represented by all of these people who had been in Jerusalem for this ongoing festival from parts of the Mediterranean world. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, no one at that time. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Now, Galileans in that day were not necessarily looked down upon, but they weren't exactly looked upon as the most educated uh, international type of people. So the thought that they could speak the languages represented was like, I don't think so. They're not that smart. But they were hearing it from those people. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Rome, which would have been about, we said, 1,200 miles as the crow flies, but about 1,500 miles by ship in that day. Both Jews and converts to Judaism, in other words, people from Gentile backgrounds who became Jewish. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. The Holy Spirit came upon the group of believers like a violent wind, that same word for spirit and wind, revealing himself with tongues of fire, with some groups today that we would call Pentecostal or charismatic, sometimes even use tongues of fire or fire-looking things in their symbolism to designate their denomination. The filling of the Spirit produced foreign tongues in this case, signifying the universal message of the gospel. It wasn't just for Jewish people who spoke uh, Hebrew or some Greek or Aramaic, but for all of these languages and beyond. We see the filling aspect of the Holy Spirit being spoken of even in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, where it says this. Jesus is being questioned about his going and, and what's going to happen. And he reminds them, he says, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, now there's the baptism, but the filling part is a little different. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. John chapter, or Acts chapter 4, verse 8 says it this way. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. So there's that filling or that controlling. Then we also see in uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 31 again. After they pray, prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with 
the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They were controlled by, they were empowered by. And then over in Acts chapter 13, verse 52, we see it written this way, talking about that filling of the Holy Spirit or that control of the Holy Spirit. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, a good question might be, what is the difference between baptism and being filled by the Spirit? First of all, before I get to that, let me, we've got a map, if you grabbed one a few weeks ago, you'll have the same thing. Around Jerusalem, which is kind of in the lower left there, around that area there where Paul would visit are the nations that uh, are talked about as far as the languages. And it would be modern-day Iran, Iraq, uh, Greece, Egypt, uh, Turkey. Those, those nations were represented by those language groups. And the map that we have in the foyer, if you didn't get one, have a lot of those nations on there. So you can check that out on your own. Those were the languages that were being spoken to demonstrate that the gospel was not just for the Jewish people or just for Jerusalem, but far beyond, as Jesus said it would be. Now let's talk about baptism and filling because sometimes that can be a little confusing. The baptism of the Spirit is a one-time experience that comes upon believers who believe in Jesus. In other words, we are baptized. The word baptism means to be immersed or identified with. Immersed or identified with. It's a word that would have been used in that day to describe uh, cloth that was being dipped or immersed in dye. So if you had white cloth and you wanted it to be purple, obviously you would immerse it or you would baptize it in the dye. It would be then identified with that dye as it came out. And that was how the term was used to describe what happens to the person who comes to believe in Jesus. When I believed in Jesus in the fall of 1974, I didn't know it at the time, but I was baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, given the Holy Spirit as a down payment guaranteeing what is yet to come, sealed by the Holy Spirit forever. The sealing was an identification that the Romans used to indicate that they own something like a building. So in a sense, we are sealed, we are owned by God forever in Christ. That's our identity and that's our security. Baptism is a one-time experience that comes upon a believer when they, are, when they accept Christ. Filling is something that occurs over and over. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 explains this baptism idea. It says in chapter 12, verse 12, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Baptism is a one-time incident. Filling is an ongoing because it has to do with control. So if we're sitting in church this morning, and you're sitting, I'm standing, I'm preaching, and your heart is divided as far as your commitment to Christ or you're distracted by your phone in some way other than looking at the scriptures, which we're supposed to be now because we're in church, right? It's time to learn from God's word. Are you filled with the spirit, controlled by the spirit? You can answer that question. No, probably not. Because if we're filled with the spirit, our minds are going to be focused on Christ, especially at a time like this. Filling has to do with control. Who's in charge? Who's on the throne of your life? Is it AT&T or is it Jesus Christ? Is it Major League Baseball or is it the Holy Spirit? 
Is it the NFL or is it, or your stock account or whatever competes for the allegiance of your heart? Because it all comes down to the heart. And when our heart is given over to Christ, day after day, a decision of the will, a crisis of the will at times, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. But when we give in to the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the world, the flesh, the devil are constantly tempting us to give in, guess what happens? We're not filled. Where we begin to be controlled by other things. So the filling is an ongoing thing. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 says it this way in comparison to are we being controlled by a substance such as alcohol or drugs or are we being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Chapter 5 verse 18 says do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery or an out of control situation because suddenly we've given ourselves over to a substance outside of our body that controls us instead be filled with the Spirit. In other words, be controlled by the Spirit. So baptism is a one-time thing, a, a, an incorporation, a, an immersion into the body of Christ. Filling is an ongoing thing. It all comes down to the heart. Some would say it's the difference between the birth of a child and the raising of a child. I had the privilege of being present at the birth of both of my children. And I was very glad I was a husband at the time. Did not look comfortable at all. But they were born one time. We were present, not present, present, but out in the waiting room, birth of our grandchild, born one time. But we know, who have raised two children, that our son and daughter-in-law, along with your kids and your grandkids and in-laws and all those kind of things, They've got a task at their hands called raising a little boy. And it's going to be an ongoing filling, in a sense, of who's in control, who's going to obey who, who's calling the shots in the house, you see. And so as a child is learning to grow and through discipline learns obedience and what's best for them is as a parent pours themselves into that child, the Lord pours himself into us because when we learn to obey him, we learn that his will is always what's best for us. If you want God's best, obey. Be filled. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit, and God will bless you with the best. I appreciate the way our own Mennonite Brethren Confession of Faith, faith says it. It sums it up very clearly, what the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the counselor, is the creative power presence and wisdom of God. The Spirit convicts people of sin, as we read in John 16, gives them new life and guides them into all truth. By the Spirit, believers are baptized into one body. The indwelling Spirit testifies that they are God's children, distributes gifts for ministry, empowers for witness, and produces the fruit of righteousness. As comforter, the Holy Spirit helps God's children in their weaknesses, intercedes for them according to God's will, and assures them of eternal life. That is the Holy Spirit that you and I have if we are believers in Jesus Christ. And the birth of the church saw that initial baptism of the Spirit, that outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and then the ongoing filling work of the Holy Spirit, which we will follow now throughout the book of Acts. But the pouring of the Holy Spirit also involves the spreading of the gospel. How is the gospel spread? By human effort? No. We are, we are vessels that God uses, but he's the one that always does the work ahead of time, preparing the heart that he wants us to intersect with through 
relationships, because it all comes down to relationships, doesn't it? Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Prophesy means to proclaim forth God's truth, sometimes proclaiming the future, sometimes simply proclaiming the truth of God that is meant to set us free. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, those latter days from the time of the ascension of Jesus until the days that we're living in now as the end approaches when God establishes his eternal kingdom forever. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke, things that are obviously catching people's attention that will get them to wonder what is happening to our world, things that are yet to come. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord when Jesus returns the second time. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which we studied in the book of John, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan, that that sovereignty of God at work and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here today, in other words, near Jerusalem. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit was convicting them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. And they said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent, turn around, make a 180. Don't trust in yourself anymore. Turn from your self-righteousness, turn from your sin, and turn to God. That's what repentance means. And be baptized. Baptize every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. We'll talk about that in just a moment. 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They were out in a temple court where a large crowd was gathered. They saw the effects of the pouring of the Holy Spirit as people spoke in their own languages. Peter stood up to preach and people responded. He quoted from Joel 2 as well as Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. Water baptism then and still is an outward sign of of a repentant heart. Repentance literally means a change of mind and direction. A change of mind and direction. Now, if we were to just read that, in a sense, at face value, it could come across as saying, in order to be saved, you have to be baptized. Well, we know from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that that's not true. For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and that not from yourselves, is it a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, including baptism, or church membership, or going to church, or reading your Bible, or praying, and none of those things merit righteousness with God. Those are results of someone who has come to faith in Christ. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward faith. Now, the Greek wording there is, is hard to translate, and so translators have to wrestle with how do we how do we stay true to what the Greek is saying and yet not confuse the English reader? One of the best translations of this actually comes from the New Living Translation, which tends to be a little, I don't want to say loosey-goosey, it's a great translation, but it takes a little bit more liberties with the wording to try to help us understand. The key word there is the word ice in Greek, in Greek not like ice, immigration and whatever, or the stuff you put in your drinks. It's E-I-S, but it's pronounced ice. It's, it's a word that means on account of or on the basis of. On account of or on the basis of. So here's how the translators of the New Living translate it. It says, Peter replied, verse 38, Each of you must repent of your sin, turn away from your sin, turn to God, turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to show that you have received forgiveness of your sins then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there seems to be a, what, what seems to be happening here, it's the saying that when a person comes to faith in Christ, they are coming to God out of repentance, they are coming to him by faith through belief, realizing that their righteousness is not good enough for God. It would never, never has been, never will be. So they trust in what Jesus has done for them, and when they do that, they are given then the gift of the Holy Spirit. They are baptized by the Holy Spirit, incorporated into the body of Christ, and the way they tell other people about that, demonstrate that, uh, testify of that, give witness of that, is through water baptism because it's a beautiful picture and we choose to use as a church family and as a denomination full immersion because we believe it symbolizes the idea of someone dying to an old way of life going into the watery grave being raised to a new life as they were given new life in Christ and then living that new life out in the power and in the filling of the Holy Spirit. I think this is a great example this conversion of 3,000 of the work 
that Rachel read about earlier, this John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11, where it simply says this, what does the Holy Spirit do? But when he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. In other words, they realize they need Jesus and he brings them to himself as he works in their hearts and minds. Now you may be distracted this morning wondering why are four chairs sitting on the stage? Well, let me explain. In your bulletin is an insert simply called Four Chair Discipling. What did the early church do? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were baptized by the Holy Spirit. God chose to manifest his power and his presence by them speaking in the tongues of that day, signifying that the message of the gospel was universal. But then Peter immediately began to explain to the people gathered there what was going on, who Jesus was, what they had done, because Matthew 28 was true. They were called to make disciples. Well, how do we do that as a church today? How did they do it then? Well, the four chairs represent where people are. And if you just follow along in your handout, chair number one is simply come and see. This is a person who doesn't yet believe in Jesus. But as we pray for them, as we befriend them, as we build relationships, we just say, come and see. Over 200 kids came and saw what the church is about Friday night. We call them fifth quarters. Now, a lot of those kids maybe are Christians. I hope they are. I trust that many of them are, and I, I know many of them are. But let's say half of them weren't. So over 100 kids then came, and they saw. They came and saw the church in action, loving on them, providing a place for them to have fun. So much different than what the world says you have to do to have fun. You know, I mean, the world says you have to do certain things to have fun, right? You have to get drunk. You have to be on drugs. You have to have intimacy outside of marriage, all of these things. That's fun, right? A lot of them have tried that, and their lives are falling apart. So they come to a fifth quarter, and they come and see. And so we pray for those kids. They will continue to come and see what the church is all about. But then we also want them to move to chapter, or to chair number two, follow me. And so we would, for example, we would pray that they would come back on a Sunday night and not only come and see, but also come and hear the word of God. And then at some point they would come and they would believe in Jesus. They'd move to chair number two because that's the goal, to help them move to chair number two. But just as a baby is born from this position to this position, we don't want to leave them there. We want to move them to chair number three, become a fisher of men. Begin to develop a ministry. Begin to grow in your faith. Be, be equipped to grow and to serve others and to find your niche in God's kingdom. And then the last chair is go and bear fruit. There's a maturity, there's a growth, there's a step-by-step -step process. That's what September 21st is going to be all about. So I want to invite you once again to come to that. How do we do that here? Well, we're going to learn better how to do that here. You can kind of sum these up by saying, come, follow, and these two represent go. Come, follow, go. Kind of sounds like win, build, equip, doesn't it? And you know why? Because Sun Life Ministries is the same group that does the training. And so come and learn. Come and learn what it means to be a disciple, but also how to make disciples individually and corporately as a church. 
We'll need to know the Wednesday prior to that if you're coming so we can have enough food because we are not going to be dividing loaves and fishes that day. Uh, we will be feeding you, but uh, we do need to know if you're coming. So call the church office, get on our website, register, or you don't have to register. You just need to let us know you're coming. Send us a text, an email, but please let us know ahead of time that you're coming. Well, finally, we see not only the birth of the church, the spreading of the gospel, but also the growth of the believers. And this is a passage we've looked at many times as we've talked about how do you grow as a disciple. Verses 42 to 47, they, speaking of these new followers of Christ, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. God was showing his power through them. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That word devote themselves is a word that means literally it describes steadfastness faithfulness to the disciplines of the Christian life. Steadfastness and faithfulness to the disciplines of the Christian life. And what is it that they did? What is it that we are called to do as followers of Christ? God's word. The apostles' teaching, in other words, God's word. To the fellowship. Fellowship more than just, hey, how's it going? But the fellowship of the Spirit and the bond of peace, that, that body life that we talk about where we encourage one another, we pray together, we, we live life together as followers of Christ. Worship. The, the, the breaking of bread is usually described or interpreted as uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper, which we're doing this morning. So as we worship in song, as we worship in giving, as we worship through God's word, we will be worshiping through the Lord's Supper, as the early church did too, and through prayer. Those things are needed today because we are called to be and to make disciples. Matthew chapter 28, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Therefore, go and make disciples. That's a command. That's a command. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, an outward sign of an inward faith, showing others that I have repented, I'm trusting in Jesus, I have a new life inside of me, and I want to live for God. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The result of their devotion was mutual care for one another, consistent gatherings and praising God together, which resulted in even more people coming to Christ. The growth of the believers. We could talk so much about that, the important things of the Christian disciplines, but devoting ourselves to that is critical for us to not just go from here to here, but from here to here to here. God wants in our lives each of us to be reproducing disciples. Not only being a disciple, but reaching others for Christ and having spiritual grandchildren and great-grandchildren. That's his goal for the church, empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. Well, one of the ways we do that here at our church is through our membership class, Discovering SMBC. We encourage membership because it's a way to identify with this local group of people. For some, it's a way to identify through believer's baptism. Some of you here today perhaps have never done that. You would say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I, I'm, I'm in this chair, man. 
great. Let's help you move to this one. Because God doesn't want, he wants you to go from here to here, but he doesn't want you to stay here. And part of moving from here to here is obeying the Lord. A command is a command is a command. Make disciples. Part of that is being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so I invite you on the 29th of this month, 930, to meet me in my office. I won't baptize you in my office. There's no water in there. But we will talk about what that means, what it means to be a member of our church, what we believe, what, how, how we do things here. No, no force, no, no coercion, but more of an invitation to take that step of faith, of obedience, of identification, saying, I identify with Jesus, and I am not ashamed of the gospel, and I want to identify with this church body and say, this is who I am. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. So 29th of this month, 930, back that way. The church today is called to spread the gospel just as the early church did, so that those who believe may have rebirth into the church and that they too may learn to devote themselves to the life and the growth of the church as disciples of Jesus. When we take communion this morning, may we never forget the cross, as the choir so beautifully sang. May we remember what the early church did as they identified with Jesus, as they were witnesses in that community they lived in, those relational connections, and 3,000 people came to Jesus because the Holy Spirit was already preparing their hearts and minds for what was next. May we pray the same way. May God continue to use us as a church family to spread the gospel in all parts of the world.